Principal Matters Podcast, episode 280. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I'm going to talk about the power of your messaging. On Thursday, January 20th, I had the opportunity to connect with a group of principals whom I've been doing some training with monthly throughout this school year. The Pecos Barstow Toya Independent School District in Texas hosted an event where I'm working with both assistant principals and aspiring leaders. And this month, we talked specifically about the power of communication. And for this week's podcast, I wanted to just play back to you some of the content that I shared in that session. This is an abbreviated, edited version of that to just give you some essentials that I thought would be encouraging for you, especially as you are in the middle of so many challenges. For those of you that have been leading with school closures during the latest surge of the virus, for those of you that have been dealing with the craziness of politics that are trying to influence schools, and for those of you that are just leading the normal day-to-day challenges of school leadership, I want to remind you in this narrative why your messaging, why your connection and communication and your cheerleading as a leader is so important for your school community. I also just want to invite you, if you are interested in any professional learning going into the summer or the fall semester, or for 22-23, please reach out because I'm already booking events going into the coming months. You can always email me at will at williamdparker.com, or you can check out my website at williamdparker.com to see other things that are happening. I hope that you enjoy these conversations and the content that I'm going to share this week, because what you do matters, and I'll talk to you soon. As we walked through content together about leading from the position of an education leader in the roles that you guys play um, as some of you as assistants, some of you as aspiring administrators, some of you as teacher leaders, um, I wanted to just focus this month's conversation on the hat of the communicator or the cheerleader. Um, We've worked through several hats together in the conversations that we've had previously and um, I was this week, we we're actually scheduled to talk about the hat of accountability. And I said, let's let's change that hat, because I really think that as we step back from Christmas, it's important for us to kind of refocus on the importance of strong communication and encouragement to, to one another. And, and as leaders, the importance of owning the role as the chief communicator for your schools. I just wanted to remind you, too, that these were the things that we identified as the primary responsibilities of leaders. The the leader, whether you're in a classroom or whether you're leading a building or really really in any setting, you you wear multiple hats and carry multiple responsibilities. So you're going to be a coach. You're going to be a manager. You're going to be a counselor who's listening. And those are the ones that we've already unpacked in the the previous sessions. You're going to be on duty and, and exercising accountability. You're going to be a cheerleader and a strong communicator, which is where we're going to focus today. You're going to be a servant leader, a team player, and an individual. And I'm really excited because I'm scheduled to come to Pecos in June, uh, and we're going to spend that session uh, in person talking through um, the the third book that I've written, which is Pause, Breathe, Flourish, which is all about the importance of, of 
self-care so that you can continue to be inspired and motivated for the work that you're doing with others too. But this week, I wanted to focus specifically on communication. And a lot of the content I'm going to share with you today is actually from a second book that I've written called Messaging Matters, How School Leaders Can Inspire Teachers, Motivate Students, and Reach Communities. And although some of this book is in Principal Matters, I, I wanted to pull some content specifically from, from this book today just to give you some context for why it's so important that we are being strong communicators with the people that we're influencing and the people that we're leading. And I want to start with a story. When I grew up in Northwest Tennessee, we lived on a farm and the night skies there are just incredible. Uh, I was back for Christmas and we stood outside one night with our kids. Uh, we walked down to the lake and just stood out and looked at the the just the panorama of stars. And of course, now a lot of those um, stars uh, also, you see little satellite blips coming across the sky, but my dad had a telescope and I can still remember as a boy um, looking at planets and looking at the moon and something that I didn't realize when I was a kid until I was older is that you can only see one side of the moon from any place on the earth. And for those of you that are in the room that are science teachers, you know this already because of the way that the moon orbits around the earth, that face of the moon is consistent. Uh, there is another side of the moon, but the only way you can see it is if you get in a spaceship and go to the other side, or if you send a satellite um, to the other side of the moon. And, and it was, I was in college when I had a, a, a resident advisor scholarship that we went in. And with that scholarship, we had to do some leadership training. And one of the dorm directors who was doing leadership training with uh, resident advisors, he said something that that I have never forgotten. He said to me, leadership is one of those responsibilities where you often see the other side of the moon. In other words, sometimes you're seeing things that other people don't see. And it's really easy for people to misjudge you because they don't always have the full picture of what you see. And when he said it at the time, I was you know, a college student, but in the context of what he was sharing, I started thinking about how many times have I judged those who are leading me based on the limited knowledge that I have, when maybe I would have been a little more gracious if I had had more information about why they're making the decisions that they're making. I want you to think about this in the context of your schools. How many times have you been in conversations or you've been dealing with a student situation or you've been dealing with maybe uh, even it's maybe it's a behavioral issue um, sometimes you are dealing with things that you can't share with other people because of confidentiality. Um, but sometimes you're dealing with situations on a daily basis at your schools that you know a lot of what's going on, but maybe you've just failed to share with other people the context of why you are um, making the decisions that you're making. So as educators and as education leaders, we have the opportunity to see more activity that's happening in our school than just about anybody else, especially when you step into a role of leadership. And some of you that had asked the question about that transition from teaching to leadership, one of the things that surprised me the most in that transition was suddenly I was able to be in so many classrooms and see so many things going on with students that I hadn't before. And what a privilege that is. But leadership is both a responsibility and a privilege. It's a responsibility for you to share the things that you do know, and you do have the opportunity for others to know. And it's a privilege because you have access to so much more of what's happening in a school than you do in just in one classroom. And, and here's the challenge. 
if we are not sharing the things that we see, the, the full moon experience that we have um, in our schools with our communities, with our teachers, with our kids, then they're going to only be able to operate on their perceptions. And so as leaders, as chief communicators and as cheerleaders, we've got this, this calling to be able to convey to others the things that are happening around us so that they have a better perspective of what's happening in our schools. And why is this important? Well, it's important for a lot of reasons. And messaging is just another responsibility that we have in leadership. And, and, and I want to talk about some reasons why collectively we need to be doing this. And this is from some research that um, came from a book by Rick DeFore called on, on, on American Education. And he talks about some of these assumptions. A lot of people make wrong assumptions about our schools. Uh, for instance, a lot of people assume that U.S. test scores rank below international counterparts. You've probably heard that quoted when it comes to why our public schools are failing. The truth is, however, that U.S. test scores, when you rank, when you compare them to international counterparts, um, comparatively, we'll talk about this in just a minute, you'll see that most of the time, those international counterparts are only testing their highest kids. We test all our kids, so that's not a fair comparison. Another uh, assumption, in polling, parents give schools mostly Ds and Fs. If you ask you know, people like their, their opinions of U.S. public schools, but in that same polling, when you talk to parents about their own particular public school where they live, they're going to give them higher scores because they actually have access to what's going on in their own community. So the perception is not always the reality. And then three, we, we, we often hear people talk about schools as broken models of, of, you know, we need to change schools because they're just broken. And yet we know that these, uh, that there are model schools all over the U.S. that are doing things right. And so in, in response to that, uh, you know, these are the responses to those assumptions. You know, when you compare the same demographic subsets of U.S. students, our top subsets to the top subsets of international counterparts, we always outscore them. When you look at model and breakthrough schools demonstrating high rigor and relevance and relationships, there are so many examples of schools that are performing well and serving their communities. And we serve all students. We don't get to handpick who we serve. Um, and even though parents give schools generally bad grades across the U.S., they typically give their own local schools A's and B's because they know from experience and interaction that their schools are stronger. That's why they send their kids to those schools. And that doesn't mean that we don't have failing schools. It doesn't mean that we don't have room for improvement. It doesn't mean that I'm not trying to, to paint a brush here of um, um, that's, that's unrealistic. I'm just trying to give us perspective. But here's the challenge. Our parents, our community members, our teachers, and our kiddos, sometimes the perceptions they're giving of our school, they're getting of our schools are negative. And sometimes that's our fault because we have to ask ourselves, what are we communicating back to our kids and to our teachers and to our communities about our schools? And that's why I love starting off this morning with your celebrations, because here's my question. All of those great things that are happening in the band and with your one act plays and with your attendance among your teachers and your kids, all of those celebrations you started off with, how are you making sure that that's contagious? How are you making sure that that information is being shared among your community so that together everyone can can be aware that and, and rise to that same occasion. So how do we respond? You know, what what is our responsibility as communicators? And, and that's where I want to just take a few minutes and unpack. And I know some of this is going to be in your notes, 
But you know what? Why does messaging matter? Why why is it so important that we uh, think about the power and the importance that we have is in, in communication? And and there's three things. Messaging, first of all, is a mindset, and by mindset, I mean that it is it's a frame of of thinking that when you're stepping into whatever setting you're stepping into every single day in your school, that you step in with the mind of I'm not only here to put out a fire, or I'm not only here to instruct, or I'm not only here to fill in the gap, but I'm also here to capture the moments of achievement and success that are happening among my community today and communicate that out to somebody else. And so it's a mindset and it takes time sometimes to practice looking beyond the moment to what can I, how can I capture the other side of the moon moment here and make sure other people know about it too. For instance, if I'm walking through my campus and I'm seeing kids and teachers doing amazing things, and this was my practice, I would often just jot down little things I'm seeing as I'm walking through the campus. And later I might send that out as a, as a quick kudos to the, to the whole staff of today walking through first period. These are some of the moments I caught. And it gives everyone else an opportunity to see what is happening outside of their experience. And it gives an opportunity for people to see the other side of the moon in what you're experiencing too. And it motivates people who maybe need to re- recognize that their colleagues are out there doing a really good work. Um, and to get, and this is a collective thing that we're involved in, not just what's happening in front of me. <clears throat> Number two, uh, messaging is the platform. It's the platform that we use for promoting what's happening in our schools. And platforms come in a lot of ways. Platforms come in conversations that you have and the responsibility, the role that you have gives you a platform in your community. When people see you, you don't just represent you, you represent your school and you represent your school community. Your your platform may also be something that is beyond just your personal experience too, like your social media presence, what you say on Facebook, what you say on Twitter, what you say on Instagram. your platform might be the newsletters that you share out from your school or from your classroom. And so that platform can be a lot of things, but, but with your role and responsibility comes the ability to platform what's happening in your school community. And number three, my, uh, messaging is the lens by which you display the overwhelming positives for students, teachers, parents, and communities. Because let's face it, we live in a time when the easiest thing to catch our attention is something negative. Why do you think that the things that trend on social media are typically folks who are outraged or people that are upset or situations that have got people arguing? It's because algorithms are built around um, people touching on things on their social media that drive traffic and traffic is often driven by negativity. So as leaders and educators, we have this huge responsibility and a privilege to counter that with the positives. So think about what are the things that we're communicating on a normal basis? For instance, if if you have an opportunity to make announcements during your school day to kids, and as a leader, you're starting off those announcements with reminders on behavior or don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, but you're forgetting to also celebrate things that are happening in your school your kids and your teachers are going, You are the culture that you're building for your kids and teachers is influenced by what you're saying. And so if we're only doing corrective kinds of things when we're announcing things or speaking to groups of, of students or kids, then that's the culture we're building. Um, so the lens by which you display the overwhelming positives means that you're also making sure you're shining the light 
back on what's working here. I'll say this too, for those of you that are transitioning from classroom to leadership, you know this too, you, on average, you're going to spend a majority of your day, and especially when you step into an administrative role, managing a small percentage of kids that are not doing what they're supposed to do. So you might be like spending 90% of your day with 5% of your school population who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, those 95% of the kids were doing what they were supposed to do. So what are you communicating out back to your teachers and your community about what's happening in your school? Well, the temptation is I want to tell you about all the trouble I had to deal with that day. But the reality is that was only 5% of the school. The reality is that 95% of those kids were still doing wonderful things. So to come back to the mindset platform and lens, when I'm walking outside of my office and outside of that situation that may be difficult, I'm looking for those successes because those are the things I want to capture and communicate out to the community to remind them that I may be dealing with some stuff over here so that the rest of you can be experiencing success. And so, so messaging is the mindset, the platform, and the lens that we need as, as educators to be that communicator and that chief cheerleader for our school. So this is the question I want to pose to you guys. And I want you to talk about this at your tables for just a minute. What are some obstacles to positive communication? Because it's not easy to communicate the positives that are happening in our school. So talk for just a moment at your tables about what are some of the obstacles that sometimes you might face to knowing about the positives that are happening in your own schools. And then I want, I want to hear a, a little bit of feedback. I love hearing you guys talk. As we step into this next part of the conversation, I really want to talk about the importance of the ways that we're communicating also directly with our students. And I want to show you um, a um, just a very short video clip of a speaker that I'm familiar with whose name is, is Josh Ship. And Josh um, is actually from Oklahoma. He um, came and spoke at one of our events a couple of years ago, and I've interviewed him on my podcast. So I, I could share 30 minutes or an hour of content with you from Josh Ship. But what I wanted to do was just give you a just a quick, like um, three minutes of Josh Ship. This is just as a very abbreviated version of his story with an application. So I, I hope that you can get some uh, of the essentials of his meaning just from this very short introduction, and then I can point you to more of his resources. But let me show you this quick clip from Josh Shipp. As a kid, I mastered the art of getting kicked out of foster homes. And the fact of the matter is I trusted no one. And looking back, I guess, how could I? From the time my parents left me, to the time another foster kid raped me, to the time I was bullied so bad, I tried to kill myself with a bottle of pills. So I'm sitting in the van in the driveway of this next home, preparing to meet Rodney and Christine from Yukon, Oklahoma. He looks in my eyes and says, son, you can keep causing problems. You can keep trying to mess up. You can keep pushing us away. You can keep trying to get us to kick you out of here, but you've got to get it through your thick head, son. We don't see you as a problem. We see you as an opportunity. You see, every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. March 2015, Harvard's National Scientific Council on the Developing Child 
released this study saying, and I quote, every child who winds up doing well has had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. My friend and mentor Reggie Joyner from Atlanta taught me to think about it this way. In this jar are 936 marbles. Each one of these marbles represents a single week from the birth of a kid until that kid turns 18 years old. You know a 16-year-old? You got 104 marbles remaining. Right here, we are looking at time. In fact, you're looking at all the time or all of the weeks you have left to influence this kid, this kid, or this kid before they turn 18 and begin making critical life decisions without your presence. What matters isn't how much time you have left with a particular kid that you care about. What matters is what you do with that time left. I mean, consider how many weeks Rodney had left when he bailed me out of jail. 26. I was six months away from graduating high school. 26 weeks to get through my thick head, my bitterness, my anger, my distrust of adults, to get me to finally accept help. You see, it's not about how much time you have left with that kid you're thinking of. What matters is what we do with that time. If every kid truly is one caring adult, one Rodney away from being a success story, then the challenge is this. The difference between a statistic and a success story is you. I love Josh Ship, and if you want to see more of his content, I'm happy to share that with you. I was able to interview him a couple of years ago, and just it was such a joy to have him in the room for 30 minutes and just just talk about his story. But I think it's so important when we think about that hat of the communicator that we keep that perspective in mind that we may be that one influential adult in the lives of students every single day. We may be the only positive thing that they're hearing that day. And so how do we switch our focus? How do we make sure that we're constantly, you know, that we're doing the work that we're supposed to be doing and managing and teaching and instructing and correcting, but we're also switching the focus back to motivating and encouraging students at the same time. And there is this amazing moment a few years ago at one of the Winter Olympics when Simon Kruger, at the very beginning of this cross-country skiing uh, competition, he fell. And I remember I watched this live and I was like, ooh, that guy just out of the race. But then he got up and he worked really, really hard from the very back of that race and he won the gold medal. And when they were interviewing him later, they asked him, what happened in your mind when you fell and then later pushed yourself? And he said, when I got up from the snow, I just asked, I told myself, switch your focus from my falling to what can I still do to win? And I thought, what, that's such a, that, how, how much do we need to practice that every single day when we fall down, switch your focus back. And when you hit that hard conversation switch your focus back. When you're discouraged, switch your focus back on what can we do to make this a more positive place for kids. And so I want you to place yourself in the brain of students because 
How do we ensure that the way we're communicating with them, the environments that we're creating for them are places where they feel welcome? And the, the, the challenge that we have with this generation of kids is one like we've never seen before. This Gen Z generation, and now they're calling our babies that are coming up the Zoomers, um, but this generation has always been a generation, unlike us, unlike me, um, that they've always known internet access, rapid technology, immediate information. None of them remember life before 2001, September 2000, uh, September 11th. Um, they live in a world of constant news, global terrorism, school shootings, uncertainty, political unrest, pandemics. Uh, and they've also seen this huge, this incredible uh, employment mobility, um, social media movements. And so there's positives there too. I mean, the ability that we can do things we've never been able to do before, just like us talking in this conversation, but this is a different world for them to live in. And it creates a lot of stress and anxiety. And so my question for educators is how are we creating the kinds of environments where kids that are constantly facing things that may be anxious and stressful in the world, how do we make sure that they're not, that we're doing the best we can to provide them answers and stability and consistency when they're at school? And, and it, these are some like very basic questions. Like, do we know, do we have signage so students know where they are when they walk in buildings? So they're not confused about where they're supposed to be. Do we keep our hallways free from distracting clutter, but make them a beautiful, encouraging place kids want to learn? Do we train our staff to welcome and greet and guide guests when they walk in our schools? And I'll give you an example. In our front office, we I bought a coffee pot and waters, and every person that walked in was welcomed, not as an intruder, but as a guest, and asked, would you like a cup of coffee or some water while you're waiting? Are students' schedules printed in advance? Are school maps available for the new kids that show up so that they're not so that they're not overwhelmed any more than they already are when they step into our buildings? Is our school website updated consistently so people know what they're looking for? And I, I was confronted on this when we started my kids at my school because then when my wife became a parent of my school, she was quick to point out to me how confusing our website was. And I had to start looking at my website through the perspective of a parent, not just of the principal. Have we held orientation meetings so that students and parents feel welcome and understand what to expect? Have we provided information that's welcoming in our emails and newsletters and published those out to the community? And so these are just important questions. And, and think about this from the perspective of your kids. And let me tell you two stories, one from Jenny and one from Billy. You know, Jenny walks into school. She's a brand new student. She's coming from a, a situation where she lives in a one-parent home. She works after school to help provide more for her family. She's not able to show up for orientation meetings like some other kids because she's just too busy. And the first day that she shows up for class, um, she doesn't have a copy of her schedule. She has to go stand in a long line because the schedules aren't available and printed in advance. She shows up to a classroom where a teacher does not introduce himself. And it's about 10 minutes in before she realized she's actually in the wrong classroom. And so she starts her day off in tears. But, but then Billy, you know, he shows up to school and in a place where there's signage where teachers stand at the door and welcome kids, where seating charts are readily available because teachers are well prepared in advance, where Billy is giving meaningful work um, in his classrooms, where he knows where to go if he's got questions and Billy's experience in that day is lowering his anxiety, not increasing it. You know, Harry Wong is one of my favorite um, 
old time teachers in terms of like how to do really good classroom management. And these are seven questions he says every kid asks when they come into class. Am I in the right room? Where am I supposed to sit? Who is my teacher as a person? Will they treat me like a human being? What are the rules of my classroom? What will I be doing? How will I be graded? And so we have to ask ourselves the questions, are we answering these things for our kids before they ask them? Because that's our responsibility as a classroom teacher is to be anticipating and then communicating the answers to the questions we know kids are going to have. But it's also our responsibility to do this school-wide. And so these are the questions I've rephrased that we should be asking in leadership. Everybody who comes into our building is asking, am I in the right area? Do I know what this building is set up like? Do we give tours to our people so that they know about the building? Where am I supposed to begin my day? Have we given them a sense of, of what their schedules are in advance? Who is my principal as a person? Every teacher wants to know you more than just as your role. They also want to know who you are as a person. Will the entire staff treat me as a human being? Is this a place where I can be treated with dignity and respect? And so it's our responsibility to ensure that that's being communicated. What are the rules of this school? Because we have school-wide expectations, just like we do classroom. What will we be doing this year? Which means we're providing them with schedules, duty rosters, observation plans, all those things way in advance so that they're those anticipated questions are answered. And how will I be held accountable? If I do something that needs correction, what will that look like? And so we have a responsibility in school leadership to think about that school-wide communication with kids and with teachers and with staff and with parents so that we're answering the questions that we already know that they're going to be asking. So I want to just ask you to think about that for a second. If you're looking at your school from the eyes of the kids, how can we be enhancing our communication with them to make it even better so that so that we are helping them lower their anxiety instead of increasing it? So I'm going to pose that to you for just a moment. I want you to have that conversation among yourselves. What are ways that we can be better enhancing communication to answer questions for kids before they even ask them? Ready, set, go. Well, Principal Matters listeners, thank you for listening to, to this week's conversation with those wonderful leaders from Pecos Barstow Toya Independent School District in Texas. And as you step into your important week serving students, thank you so much for staying connected and learning together. Please reach out anytime you have questions, feedback, or ideas that you'd like to share. As always, thanks for doing what matters, and I'll talk to you next week. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com.